Ako Akeake. Always learning. Enga iwi no piki mai no kake mai ki tine hotaka a te ahika. Anai mawa ko maraya rakuraku e fakapahua tunei kia koutou. Aida. Kia ora tātou mā, you're listening to Te Ahika, the Kaupapa Māori show on Radio New Zealand National. Tonight, we're talking aroha mm-hmm. with two sets of couples, one based in Whirinaki in the far north, Icy and John Bristow, whose marriage is 57 years strong. Woohoo! When we, uh, when the, the date of the wedding was arranged down here, it was arranged for the 13th of August. So, oh, well, that's it. So when I, uh, a few weeks later, I was home and I got a ring from her dad for her mum, forget that, and they said, oh, they don't like the date, the 13th, and I've got to change it either to the 6th or the 20th of that same month. So I thought, oh, well, I'll change it. I said, oh, well, the 6th will do, and they said, okay. Well, not knowing that was her birthday, you see. Was right. <laughs> it was, uh, was it uh, we come there to get married and I found out oh, it was her 18th birthday right on the the, the 6th of August so uh, and then there's Wellington based couple Kirsten Terito and James Illingworth who met through their shared musical interests as a dynamic duo husband and wife team yep. <laughs> how, how did this all happen <laughs> did, did you uh, meet across the happened on the love tour <laughs> And that, that, that was the real name of the tour. <laughs> no, we, yeah, we were doing a show together and it was called The Love Tour. Koe ranga kōrero heke mai nei. That's what's coming up in this edition of Te Ahika. Te Ahika, Radio New Zealand National. first up. A few weeks ago, high school pupils made their way up to Whangarei Te Taitokero to compete at the National Secondary Kapahaka competitions. This annual event is hosted in different regions around the country and you think the Olympics is competitive. Ain't got nothing on these rangatahi who are so kapahaka crazy slash committed. Many eventually end up competing at Te Matatini, the National Kapahaka Competition's level. A Farikura from Waikato won this year, Te Ropu Kapahaka o Nataiatia. Another annual event that's just as competitive is Ngā Manu Kōrero, the speech competitions. This is where students are placed into junior and senior sections based on their age and deliver speeches on set topics in Te Reo Māori or in English. It's school pride on the line here and it's impassioned and fierce. We've played archival recordings in the past on Te Ahika featuring a who's who of Māori broadcasters. In their school days... Matai Smith, Julian Wilcox, Tamati Waka, all of who can be seen on Māori television, took part and in Matai's case was discovered during Manu Kōrero. And that's pretty much how Manu Kōrero is. Many of the former participants remain involved in Te Ao Māori to this day. Now, there's a couple of other parties involved in the Manu Kōrero, the judges who select the best speeches and the punters listening. And how about our Komatua, who have their own opinions on the value of these speech competitions? Upper Heart based Tuhoi Komatua, Himi Kara. Ah, tēnā koe e hine, kuru atu ki te whārua, o hine mataro te awa, te te wara wa te marae, a te māhurehure, te hapū, korangi mōho, 
kura mahi rangi ngā tīpuna whareere. Ā, ko tai arahi a te maunga. Ā, ko hine pūko hurangi, te wahine ki e nei, ngā tamariki o te koku. Ā, ko te kumatua, nō ngāi tāmanu hiri, i te tirāwhiti, te kokoka nō ngāi tūhoe. Ā, tēnā koe. Ai, tēnā koe, Hemi. Me huri tāwa ki te reo Pokoprawa, Paitera. So, Hemi, we talked a little bit about whai kōrero. Could you tell us about when you spent time on marae as a young person, the level of whai kōrero from your elders and what that particular practice, observing it as a young person in Tūhoi and what you thought of it at the time? Growing up, I think, in the 30s, Tereo was prominent. It was, it was everyday food. It was everything. Everything around you was Tereo Māori. There was nothing other than Tereo Māori. In fact, going to school in the 30s, mid-30s, actually a lot of us went there to learn the English language at school. And at that time, of course... I'm one of the many who uh, who doesn't pay attention to uh, what is happening around them, uh, getting up to mischief as young kids. And uh, uh, it wasn't until later years that we started to realize uh, what was happening on the marae. Uh, and then, of course, to uh, you mentioned about fake water. Well, it's a long, long journey. Uh, before you ever uh, uh, entertain the idea of standing up on a marae, if you ever get the opportunity, because uh, the, 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 the decision is not yours, it's someone else's. In them days, you await the time that the kaumatu will tap you on the knee, mm-hmm. and that was a signal you stood up, because all the time that uh, prior to that, you should have been listening, observing, and understanding everything that the Paipai or Kaumatu was saying. That's in some tribes. How, in your view, um, has this changed over time, do you think, upon Marae? Is there still that nurturing, that mentoring that happens in your experience within Marae, or of the next Whaikōrero speakers? Are you, are you saying the quality or the, the opportunity? The opportunity, well, I think uh, it's, it's clear we here go back some 20, 30, 30 plus years, maybe more, to uh, those people who are responsible for the Kongareo. And that has a, a, a big effect on the, the survival of Tereo. That cope up uh, way back, and I remember some of those queers uh, that continued to to have our children going through that, that phase of uh, learning te reo Māori at that young stage. And I think uh, uh, in latter years, uh, when the Kurakapa became on board and total immersion, mm. it uh, became, the vehicle became, had lo- uh, a bigger journey. When we look at the, the Wānanga Raukawa, uh, well, the other one is Aonariarangi, Aotearoa, and that has opened up uh, another area for people who is going through the early stages of te reo to better themselves in terms of uh, 
tikanga Maori because these are not available at at Pākehā universities, and these are uh, vehicles that they can use to go in and and to you know learn karakia, whakapapa, everything about the marae, marae studies, te reo, all sorts. Aye. So uh, I think today there's so many of our young generation now going to college are becoming quite adept with the, with te reo and in the art of whaikōrero. Uh, a lot of it's, I know it's, it's a paper taught, but uh, they, they, they uh, bring in back some of the stuff that never was used from way back. What do you mean by paper taught? Um, well, hear me? a book, you know, uh, uh, the tools out there, uh, whereby, you know, you listen at, uh, at the feet of your kuia. This is where we first uh, breathe te reo into our feeling you know. That's just uh, what I'm trying to refer to. Yeah. Aye, aye. Yeah. YouTube technology. You get them on, yeah, on uh, TV and everything. You know, those, a lot of those things I can remember. Uh, there's nothing written. When you go to a while and you, you take example to Ringatu, all their karakia, you don't write anything down. Or whakapapa. Uh, all those things you learn by heart and uh, there's an old saying that was said to me by a crower you breathed it into your into your soul as part of your yeah. you know you talked about education and and the um, the kohanga reo movement and the kurakaupapa movement uh, hear me so that kind of um, brings me to our, our hungarangatahi who are learning te reo Māori and you spoke about another avenue of, of te reo where it's spoken as manukōrero ne right. you're very impressed by the um, the level of our young speakers when you watch manukōrero yeah the quality yeah, the, yeah. and again it's, it's another another reo to us there's a big difference you there. The kupu, the, the words. Aye. Yeah. And the words are different. The, the, the presentation, uh, a lot of our young rangatahi now, they, uh, just an example, a kapahaka is becoming more very robust, very movements, uh, a thunderous uh, performance on a stage whereby in the old days it was the art. It, you know, you only wanted about five people to do a haka. Now you've got 30-odd people. Yeah, it's another, I guess, just getting away f- going forward. Aye, tra- ev- evolution there, well, changing. Well, I guess that's a terminology you can use as well, yeah. But a lot of these kids, a lot of you know, young uh, students, uh, very adept on the Atamira. I've seen them, and today some of them are wonderful speakers. These people are going to... Uh, continue to have us recognise tikanga, uh, karakia, motea, tea, taupalapara, all those sorts of things uh, by continuing with the reo. Kia ora, he mikara, and he'll join us in upcoming Tiahika talking about Orongo Mai Marai Apahat. If you're able to tear yourself away from the million dollar view that greets you at the top of the climb, to Icy and John Bristow's Fidnaki home, you're a stronger person than I was. I lingered a good 10 or so minutes before entering their home and that was only because it started to drizzle with rain. Once inside I was greeted by the diminutive and stunning looking 75 year old Icy Bristow and her husband of 57 years, 
83-year-old John Bristow. Like any great love story, it was music that first brought them together. What drew us together, music and dancing? Oh, jitterbug. <laughs> oh, the jitterbug. Oh, yeah. And, and then they changed it to uh, uh, jive, eh? Then uh, what was after the jive? Disco? Rock and roll. Rock and roll, yeah. Now it's a Zumba. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we met um, dancing, really. We went to the um, Māori Community Centre in Auckland and uh, all the Māori bands used to play. Right down uh, Victoria Park. We used to go to the Orange Oil, I used to, but then when they, when they uh, uh, opened the community centre, Māori Community Centre down there, that's when uh, we used to all go down there then. So the music back then was, uh, wasn't that Bill Savisi? Yeah, all those, yeah. Yes, that yeah, kind of music. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. I loved the, the steel guitar, and uh, but there were lots of talented um, uh, musicians during that time, and... Um, but not many of them were actually singers. They were mostly instrumental bands. Yeah. And, um, and, of course, the community centre always had plenty of Māori kai for people who lived in Auckland. Yeah. Two and, and six, so it was a big uh, two and draw six card. a feed, big plate of kai. How much is two and six now? Uh, 25 cents. <laughs> yeah. So how much was the daily wage back then? Oh, about four four or five pounds a week. So you could get reasonably fed on 25 cents out of your four or five pounds. (laughs) And how old were you? Then. When you met at the dance? Oh, I was only a boy. How old was the boy? (laughs) Twenty. Uh, he was um, uh, twenty-five, and I Seven. was seventeen. We got married right on her eighteenth birthday. So, how long were you courting for? Um, oh, too long. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, several months actually. Mm-hmm. And did you have to go through any formalities with your parents? Oh yeah, I had to come down here and and and, and ask for her, tomo her. So this was a tomo. Yeah, my brother and, uh, came down and we picked up the kamatras from Karatu and came over here. Here to Fidinaki? Yeah, to the. Yeah. Were you to, nervous? Uh, 
<laughs> Got yourself a bit of Dutch courage. <laughs> well, in those days, the, the old people used to say, when they go to the pub, hide the hoko korero. Yeah, and so uh, it was my father who uh, called together Kaumatua from uh, from Firinaki, uh to meet uh, with John's partner, and um, and so we had a hui hui together. Had you met his whanau before this? Uh, no, oh, very few. Gally in them, yeah. Yeah, very few. Mm. And is this the way things were done back then? You'd see each other, and then you would come and, and tumble? Oh, well, those particular times, yeah. When uh, we decided we'd like to get married, um, we always knew that's what had to be done. And his uh, family told him that's what he had to do was to come and uh, meet with my family, and uh, so and my parents also knew that's what had to happen too. And I guess um, looking back now, we didn't quite understand um, uh, the process too much, but we knew it was something that was um, uh, done. By uh, by families, and now I realise that um, one of the reasons for that uh, being um, uh, to ensure that we weren't closely related, so that families uh, hapu could meet and um, and talk to each other about the. Uh, Yeah, about not just about the the wedding, but about the fucker papa, uh, the connections, and um, and what sort of man he was, and uh, and I guess and the kind of woman no, I was at the time, um, and so I also realised that um, it was to to give support. Uh, Fano and Hapu support to um, uh, to both of us at the at the time that I wasn't just uh, we weren't just marrying each other, but we had a bigger responsibility than that, and that was uniting families and Hapu. Yeah, and I guess they knew that. And we were still learning. <laughs> and have sustained those values through your marriage. Yes. Which is now 57 years in progress. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm. John's almost 83 and I'm almost 75. And I guess those values have continued uh, throughout our marriage. We're both very much aware of the uh, wider uh, whānau links and our responsibility not only to our own hapu but to each other's hapu. 
and how we work together. So our children have actually also been brought up in a similar way. When we grew up, uh, the kind of transport that we had was only horses. And uh, so we didn't even get to meet a lot of our own immediate whanau. And so in marrying, we have ensured that our children are really grounded um, and on both sides of our families. And um, even though we live here in Pirinaki, we regularly go back to uh, Karetu, but also have family reunions and uh, go to most of the, the hui and things like that. So that your kids know who each other is. Yes. where they come from, yes. and the mokopuna know too. And in turn, they too come home, and uh, and they feel quite uh, safe that they know who they are mm. and know who they belong to and uh, know who those queer and kaumatua are uh, back in our different uh, villages. Now, at the time of the of the tumor, when you came here, how long did those discussions happen for with your whānau? And how did it happen? Did you... They had a pōhere, you... Yeah, we came up here on a Saturday evening and went all night. The kōrero? Then, well, by the next day, oh, well, everything was all settled. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it did start with uh, my whanau. Um, giving them, uh, John's whanau, a, uh, a pōwhiri, whakatau, and... Uh, which was uh, appropriate uh, for Komata. They didn't bring any wahine with him. This was... Tani uh, uh, I, although my mother uh, was there, uh, it was men who did the talking. And uh, that is what happened during those times. It was the men who did the talking on our behalf. Mm like they do on the marae. So you had to make sure they were going to say what you wanted them to say. <laughs> <laughs> they they did ask us uh, questions, but um, yes, they they were already aware of uh, of how we um, we felt and and what we wanted, and so it was just up to them to convey that message and say whether or not they agreed for different reasons, uh, including religious ones uh, and all those sort of things. So there are, uh, maybe, um, so tomo, there are examples of tomo where a couple haven't seen each other. Oh, that that was uh, the, the old ways of... But it didn't happen all the time. No, not necessarily. You can know each other for you know, a long time. It's just when when they come to the marriage, you know, 
<coughs> that's when you got to go and ask. Right, so it's not not necessarily an arranged marriage. Oh no, 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 no. It's, it's not I do know some where uh, arranged marriages uh, did take place uh, among the parents alone, a and uh, some one of the reasons being whenua that they wanted to retain uh, their land in in certain ways and so they they sought um, an alliance with uh, different families so you it was actually a connection of families and using the the children to to make that alliance mm. when it came to your own children did you was the practice of Tomo carried on? No. No, it had gone out of existence. Uh, I think we, we, we were one of the last last of the Mohicans <laughs> to be Tomod. Yeah. So who were your were your peers at the time? Were they Tomo? People around your same age group? No, no. It wasn't uh, wasn't compulsory, uh, you know. Like, see, no, 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 not like today. Well, today, uh, today they can live uh, live together for twenty five years and still not married, you know. But in our days, all oh, you 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 had to you had to get married. Yeah. But the the peers of uh, of that time. Our our parents and um, and the the queer and Komata were actually the support group uh, between uh, behind the the, um, uh, the couple who were getting married, and so on both sides they sort of balanced out roughly the same age group. Yes, they um, were the ones who made the uh, the decision on. On uh, how things would be done, even I mean, even the the marriage where you got married, uh, and um, yes, a, a lot of the, those things were uh, the church uh, that, that um, you know, and it had to be a religious marriage, and so um, they they discussed all those issues too at the same time to ensure that by the time you got married, everybody was really clear mm -hmm. about where uh, the the marriage was headed and um, how the uh, children, should any arise, um, be be nurtured. In terms of the hahi? In terms of the hahi, mm -hmm. yeah. So it must have felt, you must have felt very supported by your hapu and by the whānau. In your decision, yes. I mean, what would have happened if they had said no? And they could have, because I, at the time, was Ratana, uh, my family, and um, and John, you're Catholic. Yes, and he was Catholic, and and of course, it was uh, very hard for uh, Catholics to to marry a non-Catholic, mm. and uh, and his family very staunch too, uh, Catholics. And so we had to, uh, you know, they had to discuss and ask us 
uh, how we felt about uh, uh, about the, the religion, and even though I uh, did um, support my, my Ratna um, religion at the time, we uh, have also had already experienced uh, families who had um, married with uh, two religions and where the, say, the girls went to one church and the boys went to the other church on the same day. And I, while I was growing up, I thought how sad that was and I didn't want that to happen. And so while my parents were, you know, really sad that um, um, I, uh, you know, thought that we we should both be under the one umbrella, one church, and, um, yeah, they, they did agree, eventually agree, and, uh, and support our getting married in the Catholic Church. Because... Did you end up conversing? Pardon? Did you end up conversing? Yes, I did. So could that have potentially, I know this is a lot of what-ifs, been a deal-breaker? Uh, yes, it was. I was very lucky to have uh, supportive parents at the time, uh, supportive uh, uh, whānau who, um, who came with me while I was going through the process of uh, of conversion, and also a wonderful priest uh, who helped me uh, through that, and uh, so I guess it made the transition uh, a bit easier for me. But I guess in my heart, in the end, I I knew that if we both had one religion, and there seemed to be no way out uh, for the Catholics at the time um, that we had to make the compromise. Now, what if they had said no? Would you have gone against your, your whanau? And I'm not talking about the religious aspect. I'm talking mm. about if they had said no to the tomo. I guess at the time, in, as you know, I... I was still only young, and I, I'm not sure just how, whether our relationship, you know, could uh, withstand that, and um, yeah, it's hard to say mm, at this time, yeah, that uh, to go back there, we were very lucky that they did support our decision. Had it not been supported, uh, I'm not sure. I guess it was the time that we grew up to obey our parents. And, um, and I guess for me, for a time at least, uh, that's probably what could have happened. It could have happened. Yeah. And it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> it all worked out. Yes. Good. <laughs> Our parents had a, 
family had a strong influence on on decisions that were made, and we didn't. Um, maybe sometimes we did question, but in the end, I think we mostly followed through on the decisions that they made. And if our relationship was strong enough, it might have changed somewhere down the line, mm. but not at that particular time. Mm. But, yeah, I can't honestly say, you know, what could uh, would have happened, but um, I guess we, for me, I was very much under the uh, protection of my parents, and... Um, because I needed their support, whatever the decision was. And, um, but the fact that we both wanted to get married, I guess, made it a, a bit easier for them to, to give their consent. Mm. Was it the same for you? Was that the same for you? The same for you, the p parents... Your whānau support. Yeah. So from a um, just from my perspective, it seems that you know your parents or your your whānau only want the best for you. So it's like it's trusting their judgment that they're going to select someone or they're going to approve of your selection. Yes. Mm. And but it's done in a very formal. But like you said, everybody everybody. Um, understands the expectations of it. That's right, yes. And it's not necessarily reliant on the... Which is what we have now, because we have so much choice. It's not necessarily reliant on the couple. No. Because it's a wider responsibility thing. That's right. Mm. So what if there were problems in the marriage? I mean, was that something that was taken back to the hapu, or did you try and work that out? I guess for us, it's mainly that we have um, sort of had to to work through every hiccup that, that came along, but knowing full well that on, on both sides we, we had that backup, that there, there was support, that uh, we didn't go to them with every little uh, problem that we had, but uh, we all, uh, but we had our share of ups and downs, and, and uh, the Fano were there just to um, uh, to help us over over the spots that got uh, yeah got, got a little bit out of uh, uh, our management, I guess. And they were always there to to help us out. Yes. So let's look at today's society. Do you think Maori society could benefit? from implementing Tomo again? I definitely do. Um, knowing um, not only that you have their support, but they also need our support too. And um, that um, they're not just somebody that we turn to when we need help, but that uh, we remember that they too need help. And so uh, going through the, the tomo, tomo process, 
has uh, allowed us to have a, a wider vision uh, of a, a whānau concept instead of just two people, mm -hmm. two people's needs. And um, in, mostly now our children will come back if they decide to. We are going to get married. This is what's going to happen and it's going to be there there's uh, mostly no consultation with Fano, and um, and and, I, and some may feel a little bit left out with being uh, part of that initial planning process, and so for us, even knowing what we we wanted, we're still giving back to our uh, our parents and our hapu the opportunity to have some input into the uh, initial decision as to what should happen and and how. It's like you said earlier, as a society, we've, be we've become quite unaware of who our relations are. Yes. And yes. there are relationships that spring up between very close whānau now. That's right, yes. Um, today we, um, we we look at our children and we think, oh my gosh, that one's closely related to, to, to that one. You didn't find out till further down, down the track, mind you. It also happened way back, you know, during our time for one reason or another and before us, as we look back in uh, Paka Papa, uh, some of those things that um, maybe could not be, be avoided, but it also, I think, gives back to your whanau the opportunity to participate in a, in a happy occasion, yeah, and uh, make them feel important that they were part of the decision-making. When we, uh, when the the date of the wedding was arranged down here, it was arranged for the 13th of August. So, we, oh, well, that's it. So when I, uh, a few weeks later, I was home and I got a ring from her dad or her mum, forget that, and they said, oh, they don't like the date, the 13th, and I've got to change it either to the 6th or the 20th of that same month. So I thought, oh, well, I'll change it. I said, oh, well, the sixth will do. And they said, okay. Well, not knowing that was her birthday, you see. Oh. Was right. <laughs> it was, uh, was it the love we come there to get married? And I found out, oh, it was her 18th birthday, right on the the, the 6th of August. So, uh, and they didn't, I don't know why they didn't like the 13th, so they... <laughs> My mum. <laughs> Very superstitious. But so you got married on your birthday? Married on her 18th birthday. <laughs> so all my birthdays came at once. <laughs> <laughs> it kept on coming. <laughs> yeah, a few years after we got married, she said to me, Johnny, I married you for better or for worse, and you're getting worse. <laughs> Go 
John and Icy Bristow, nor Fidinaki. To listen to a longer version of that kōrero, you'll find it available online at radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Now you can always re-listen to our kōrero at our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Send us an email too. Tehika at radionz.co.nz. We love hearing from you. Or look us up on Facebook. I'm Maraya Rakraku. And I'm Justin Murray, and this is Tehika. Kirsten Tirito started off like many Wahine Māori musicians, cutting her teeth doing BVs as a backing vocalist for other artists. Twelve months ago, she decided to step out on her own and work alongside her cousin, Te Reo Māori advocate, Dr. Joe Tirito. The result? A Te Reo Māori album. I was born in Wellington and my dad was from Hastings and Mahia, so um, our marae up there is Omahu marae, and um, yeah, and Mahia, Tuahuru marae, so we're Rungo Mai Wahine and Ngati Kahungunu. Uh, Hi. Yeah. Kia ora, kia ora Kirsten. And James, tell us where you were born, raised, uh, spent your childhood days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I was born in Whangarei, uh, lived in Kamo. Uh, went to Kamo High School um, and then moved down to Wellington uh, at the end of high school to go to music school. Wow. For Fatireo? No, the Conservatorium of of Music at uh, what is now Massey University. Wow. Yeah, so been in Wellington ever since pretty much. Cool. Now just to give you a, a paint a picture to our listeners out there, we've got uh, James's Got the old Roland keyboard. What? Gee, what's the length of that? About a metre and a half? Oh, yeah, I guess it's got to be. <laughs> Has that travelled the world or travelled the country with you? Well, as you can see from the scratches, it used to travel the country with me, but um, now it's too heavy to go on the plane. <clears throat> oh, right, you have to buy its own seat or something yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah, so I've, I've now got a like a little, little MIDI controller, which is very light, and that they let on the plane easy as. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, Kirsten, um, we are in August, and in July there was a pretty big moment for you, and yes. that was about stepping out by yourself, really, mm-hmm. and launching your album, Tirito. Mm-hmm. Oh, where do I begin? Um, we were really lucky to, um, well, we put in for a grant, actually, an album grant from um, Te Maungai Paho, and we were uh, really lucky to receive one, so... Um, where that was the beginning, I guess. I was I worked with um, fantastic production company Manaka Limited. Um, that's Mark McGregor, McGregor yep. and, um, and Minaripia. Yep, yep. Minaripia. They're both also in a band that we're in together called Why. And so um, he agreed to work with with myself and with my husband James and help us produce our own album, but in 100% Te Reo Māori, which was a new experience for me. So that's where it all began. Um, 
So the the um, album is a hundred percent in Tereo. Right. How has Tereo Māori been a part of your of your life? Well, I guess growing up, um, I wasn't. I'm not a fluent speaker of Te Reo Māori. Um, my dad got really sick when I was young, and so that sort of whole connection. You know, we spent most of the time looking after Dad as opposed to thinking about, you know, trying to learn stuff from him. It was just hard enough trying to take care of him. He was sort of terminally ill, so um, I helped nurse him with my mum and my brother. Mm. Um, yeah. Were you were young? Yeah, I, was, I think I was about, I must have been about nine or ten when he, when he got really sick. And then um, we nursed him at home for about three years, and then he passed away. Mm. So um, I guess with him passing on, you know, it was really difficult to keep that... Um, you know, the connection and also to learn the real as well. But I've always had that real passion and um, and want to do that. So I guess this was my first step. Your, not only your collaboration with um, Minari Owai or and, and Marka McGregor, but obviously as a dynamic duo, husband and wife team. Yep. How, how did this all happen? <laughs> did, did you meet across the... Happened on the love tour, <laughs> and that, that that was the real name of the tour. <laughs> no, we, yeah, we were doing so, a show together, and it was called the Love Tour. <laughs> and um, too much, eh? Yeah, the Love Tour was that in, in New Zealand? Yeah, it was. Um, we were with a group called oh, a guy called Tommy Love, and he did sort of um, musical theatres extravaganza kind of shows. And James was a musical director, and I was a lingerie. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and the rest is history. And the rest yeah. is history, yeah. as they say. Yeah. Well, uh, who could not resist um, <clears throat> oh, the beauty of Kirsten Tirito? Yeah, but I did make the first move. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. James, you talked a little bit about coming down, coming down to Wellington and I suppose, um, you know, getting your, um, starting out your musical um, career or journey. Um, tell us about those early days. Have you always been musically minded? Oh, yep. Music's always been a part of my life. Got to thank my mum and dad for that. Started off on the old classical lessons. Classical? Yeah, arpeggio, scales, you know, those sorts of things. Really important, but it's, um, you know, a good foundation. Went through the classical grades, uh, then came to Wellington and started to learn jazz, um, which was another big step up. Went to the conservatorium, like I said before. Uh, and I had a really cool year, my year that I went through. Or oh, there were there were a few really cool years around, you know, lots of cool guys and girls, you know, going through. Um, so made a lot of good connections there and a lot of great friendships. And, you know, I had the, the likes of Rio Hemipal in my class, uh, Rick Cranston from The Little Bushman, cool. Justin Firefly Clark, who plays with probably everybody. He's a <laughs> criminally insane guitarist. Um, oh, the list goes on. So it was a, it was a good few years there. And, um, you know, uh, going through jazz school with those guys and, you know, learning how to play jazz was... Awesome, a great experience, and then it set me on a on a great path to um, do virtually anything I want to do musically. Wow! So I've got a good knowledge of um, harmony. And yeah, does jazz give you that grounding in terms of here's the foundation, here's jazz, and can you spread out into most areas of music? Mm, mm, yeah, like dub much. reggae, oh. would it have the same principles as as jazz? Or? Well, it can do, but yeah. it, if you're using your um, your ears hard out. Then you'll just listen to a reggae groove, and you'll be able to know. Well, you'll know what to play pretty much because mm. you, you've got good ears, or well, you, yeah. you're trying to have good ears. <laughs> but but, but, but yeah. musically, you are a trained. You you can read music. Yep. And yep. And, and play by ear. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Bachelor of Music Performance. Cool. So, yeah, never used it. 
Well, <clears throat> maybe <laughs> once or twice on, on my business on. card. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's been good times. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in. Now we are going to kick off with your, um, uh, your as I mentioned, there's a Roland keyboard in the fuddy. So yes. Oranga, what's Oranga about the song that okay. you're going to sing? Um, so this is our first single off our album. Um, yes, it's called Oranga. Um, I guess it's a bit of a full-on topic. Um, I wrote the song... Um, both James and I have been affected by the loss of loved ones in our lives mm. and by suicide also. Mm. And so that was, um, I guess, the basis for the song. And I just wanted to draw attention to it. And I wanted people to just remember to look after one another and, um, yeah, to really celebrate life. Cool. So yeah. here we go with Anaitewaita uh, Oranga. in theatre. Yes, I have. So were you dancing and singing at the same time? Uh, Lion yes. King, um, <laughs> tell us about your, your, your theatre experience. Uh, I guess it started when I was really young. My parents put me into um, dance lessons. And cool. so I did, yeah, I did tap, jazz and ballet, but I was never built to be a ballet dancer. <laughs> so I stopped that not long after. <laughs> These thunder thighs. <laughs> and um, yeah, but I carried on tap dancing and I really enjoyed it. I think I did my last exam when I was about 17, so yeah, finished it, finished it all off. Um, cool. And then I guess I used that to move more into musical theatre. I did a course um, in between having a couple of children. I did a course wow. at um, a performing arts centre in Wellington. And then from then on, I guess I just, it all sort of took off and I did lots of different musical theatre um, shows, Little Shop of Horrors at Downstage and I guess my that was probably one of my favourites because I got to do it with some really cool people. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, that was a really neat show. But then yeah, there was The Lion King over in Melbourne. I went on tour with them over to Shanghai 
which was a really neat experience. So we often have guests that are constantly filling their kete and yep. their experiences contribute to um, to what their life is mm, that's right. in the present moment, really. Yep. So, I mean, you've definitely, um, yeah, musically, filling your kete and theatre. And, yep. and so the solo album, was it quite um, nerve-wracking, um, stepping out on your own, so to speak? Or I don't know. With well, you I, and your band, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really tend to think about things too much. If I get an idea in my mind, I think, oh, that's what I'm going to do, and then I go and do it. And then I guess it's not till the moment that you actually have to start performing it. That's when I start to get a little bit nervous. Yeah. Yeah, not too nervous. And already, Kirsten is up for a few awards at next month's Māori Music Awards in Hastings. She features in five out of eight finalist categories, including Best Māori Pop Album, Best Female Solo Artist, and Best Māori Songwriter. Oh, cut it out. Cut it out, all right. How amazing. Anaira Ocean Mercia with this week's Whakatauki. Ako Akeake, always learning. Uh, this little um, whakatauki is really important to me because it reminds me that I'm oftentimes just as much a student as the students that I teach and that I'm always learning. I'm learning um, as, I, as I get prepared for classes, but I'm also learning from the students themselves. Everybody has something to bring to the table and uh, we've got to always have open minds and always be ready to learn. Kia ora. Next week, I'm in Porangahau, Hawke's Bay, with Morehu Smith and Te Puriti Tipine, learning more about their annual Māori Golf Tournament. Mm. And I look at the culture behind fundraising art auctions in relation to one held in Auckland last week. All coming up next week. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Atu i tērā, he mihi anō ki ngā kai whakamahia i ngā rorohiko. Hoki mai hei tērā rātapu, mai te whanua te ahikā. Kia tātou katoa. Mauri ora. Kia ora, my name is Kirsten Tirito and um, I wrote this song with my husband James Ellingworth. Uh, the song is called Hope and we wrote this song um, about a friend of ours was going through a bit of a rough time and um, he was going up the lady and she wasn't being so nice to him. So this is a song um, about his situation. Here we go. Hope, I never knew someone to hold me so. Never knew someone to let go. I need some hope. Give me some hope. I need some hope, boy. Never knew someone to love me like you Never, never want to let you go I need some hope Give me some hope All this time waited I've been waiting for you I've seen other people come and go Some hope, give me some hope. 
Never, never 